And hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Hinkle, and today we will be talking with Don Asher uh, on Cracking the Hidden Job Market. Excellent podcast today. If you're interested in listening to the full interview um, at any time, you can go over to CheekyScientist.com backslash association and sign up to become an associate. You'll get on the wait list. Um, this will, uh, as an associate, you'll get access to all of our job search materials, uh, as well as our complete job search blueprint for PhDs and our private job referral network. If you'd like to have these podcasts as well as our free articles delivered to your email inbox as they come out, just go to our homepage, CheekyScientist.com, and enter your name and email address at the bottom of that page. Finally, you can get access to all of our podcasts at any time on iTunes. So once again today, we will be talking with Don Asher on Cracking the Hidden Job Market, and we will jump in and get started now. Thank you for being on with us today, Don. Thank you, I say. I'm looking forward to it. This is one of my favorite topics in the whole world. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you, too. You know, uh, for most of you that are on here, you have experience with uh, Don's expertise in, in negotiation. We've done a, a past webinar with him, and he was kind enough to uh, give us access to uh, his training series in negotiation as well uh, recently back in January. Uh, we love talking to him. There's there's nobody better in the field, um, in a variety of fields. So I guess. Um, we can just start very basically, uh, Don, maybe you can help us understand what exactly the hidden job market is. Well, the hidden job market is uh, all those jobs that change hands that the person who takes the job did not respond to a posted opening in order to get that job. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's kind of a miss. A definition out there that people think it means that jobs are not advertised. It means those too, but it really means all the jobs that go to somebody who did not respond to a posted opening. And it's the really the hugest part. I always think of the job market as that classic, almost a cliche, uh, the tip of the iceberg uh, versus the size of the total iceberg. The jobs that are posted and advertised are the part of the iceberg you can see and the hidden job market is that 70 to 85 percent of jobs that you can't see that are under the water so it's it's the biggest part uh, of the job market and it's also the easiest part and i think that's uh pretty interesting for our audience today <laughs> because it, you want you want to be able to go where you're competing with five six eight people instead of where you're competing with 383 uh, because the average number of respondents or median number of respondents to a posted opening is 383. That research came out two years ago. And so, uh, you know, when a PhD applies to a posted opening in the overt job market, I say they're crushed. They're crushed by 382 other people. Uh, but when they're in the uh, hidden job market, uh, they can stand out, they can shine, and they're only competing with five, six, eight, sometimes no other people. Yeah. And this is this is great. And for those of you listening, you've heard me cherry pick the large Fortune 500 companies uh, who can have you know 2,000 people applying online to every posted position. Um, Don's giving you the uh, the the average here. Uh, so 300 300 people. You 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 post a resume on Indeed or Nature Jobs, uh, like Don said, you're going to get crushed. So I think that's uh, very important to keep on your mind at all times. Uh, what's what's fascinating here too is that you hear about the hidden job market, but like Don said, it's not hidden um, once you know how to access it. It's not hidden anymore, and you, you can put yourself in a position to compete with a handful of people versus a lot of people. So thanks for clarifying that, 
done. Very, very important. Uh, okay, so obviously our audience is PhDs or those about to get a PhD. Um, PhDs such as yourself. <laughs> uh, but in this case, they have no, most of them have no previous industry experience. So even without industry experience, what would be the steps to, uh, that they should take to start accessing this hidden job market? Okay, I, I want to address this. And I also I want to start out, I say, by almost addressing the wine factor. Um, you know, I get emails from PhDs a lot uh, that say that there's a conspiracy against them, that, that uh, you know, their only way they can make it is a postdoc in a lab somewhere and no one will talk to them. I, I, I just want to address the issue, if I may, that this is not unique to PhDs at all. Uh, because if you're a, a stay-at-home parent and you've been home for five, six years, then the same thing is going to apply. You're, you're approaching a job market that's not going to be open to you if you're in a stack of resumes. If you're coming out of prison, you're, you're, it's the same thing. If you're switching uh, careers, you used to be uh, an athlete and now you want a, a job in industry. Uh, or if you're retiring and you, you did something for years and years and you'd like to stay busy, but you don't want to stay that busy. All these categories of workers have the same problem. So it's not unique to PhDs. And I think that just understanding that millions upon millions of parents come back into the job market after being out of it for 10 years, all of them do it. And so I guess I want to just say, get rid of the wine factor and figure this out, uh, because we certainly can do it. So having said, having said all of that, I think there's really three steps to break into the hidden job market, I say, and if, if you got a, a second, I'll just go through these. You got a second? Yes, please. The, the, three, the three things you have to know, and, and they're the only three things you have to know. As a matter of fact, uh, of the three things, the only one of you really have to know is the first one. And that is that you get jobs by talking to people. You don't get, you don't get jobs by applying for posted openings. You get jobs by talking to people. That's you talking to another person. That does include Skype. That does include a meaningful exchange of email. Uh, so, uh, so just to prove this, you'd be entertained by some research I've done. I, I made a resume for a dog and the dog's name was Rex K9, N-I-N-E. And I gave the dog an address and a phone number, and I gave the dog, under objective, it said kibbles. So basically, if you read two words of this resume, you saw that this was a dog, if you didn't get it off the name. Uh, so objective kibbles, skills, able to bite intruders on the buttocks if they fail to show company ID. So uh, I put this <laughs> resume together, and I sent it to the top uh, 50 corporate hiring sites based on Weddell's analysis, and I received about 25 polite little messages back. Dear Mr. Nine, we're carefully comparing your background to our needs, and we'll be back in touch. So if these, if these websites can't tell you from a dog, how can they tell what your skills are if you have a PhD that's a little bit different than they're searching for in specific positions? So it's just that you have to talk to people to get anyone to understand what you can do for them. So we'll address later uh, a question that you have uh, that is that is, is, is uh, uh, in a little bit we'll discuss what PhDs can do about this to break into systems where they're not there already. Number two, you need 100 leads at all times, which brings up the question, what is a lead? Mm. A lead is a, is a job opening. That's a great lead. Uh, but it's a person, uh, it's a company, it's an idea, it's a rumor, it's a list, it's a database. Those are all leads. 
And you need 100 of them, not because we have 10 fingers and a base 10 number system, but because if you have 100 leads, you have between one half and 4% chance of getting a positive answer to any correctly worded question. So it's just a, also it creates discipline. If you have 100 leads, then you're going to be having something to do every single day. If you've got 10 leads, you're going to be done by noon on the second day, and then you're going to be in trouble. So a hundred leads is a, a, and we can talk about how to get those hundred leads and, and, and more as you as you wish. And then the third thing is you look for work in channels. You don't just bounce around looking for anything that happens. Uh, so the way I say it is, don't look for openings. Look for a certain type of job. So look for certain types of jobs. Now that doesn't mean that if you're riding on an airplane, you don't chat up your neighbor to see what they do. I've had candidates get jobs by doing that. But when you're actively doing your outgoing efforts, it should be in specific channels. And the data are that if you look for work in more than four directions, it takes you longer to find a job than if you restrict the directions on your part. So my, my suggestion is look for only three ideas at a time. And when you exhaust one, then you can replace it. Uh, if you discover that you're simply never going to break into iBanking for structural reasons, then you replace it. So those are the three keys to getting a job in the hidden job market. You get jobs by talking to people. You need 100 leads at all times and look for work in channels and, and don't pay any attention at all to posted openings. No, that's fascinating. And I think it goes uh, very well in line with what we've talked about consistently uh, to, to those of you that are listening over and over again is um, that magic number seems to be 100. And when we see associates getting jobs, right, we talked about creating a, a strategy, which Don alluded to here, too. You created something to record your efforts, you know, your contacts, the jobs you've applied to, informational interviews you have set up, uh, you know, getting started, like a good rule of thumb of, of what to start at is about 30. But where we see associates getting jobs is when they fill that out to 100 different rows, where they have at least 100 different leads. Um, and that is part this wasn't planned. Uh, Don said it himself. It's good for you to hear it from somebody else. So uh, great advice there. And then, and again, you're not going to get better advice in terms of the step-by-step -step approach you need to have to accessing this hidden job market. It's not just going to happen. But once you know it's due, um, again, you can put yourself ahead of hundreds and hundreds of people who are just uploading resumes online. Um, okay, so, so Don, maybe we can get a little bit more practical now and talk about the steps that you would take um, to get an internal referral for a position. Uh, for example, if you've met someone at a networking event, you mentioned sitting next to somebody on a plane or, or a bus or whatever it might be. At what point is it okay to ask for a referral? Like we talk a lot about adding value first or building relationship a little bit, not just asking for something right away. Maybe you can talk to us about some strategies you use to, to or, or that other high-level people use to get um, internal referrals. Well, let's first of all, kind of break the myth that people are reluctant to give referrals. Um, they're, they're not reluctant to give referrals. Uh, they may not give a referral every time. They may not like you, but they're not reluctant uh, because they actually are rewarded for making uh, referrals of people who are hired, and that reward is uh, pretty robust. It's, uh, you know, typically 500 to about $3,000 for recommending someone for hire. And so, uh, basically, if, if you look okay and you, uh, you know, you don't seem crazy, uh, I mean, basically, it does, it's a very low bar. <laughs> <laughs> if you meet somebody and you shake their hand and you look them in the eye and you're able to represent your skills, uh, then I think it's just fine to go ahead and say, you know, I'm going to be applying to your company. May I mention your name and say that we've met? 
And that's about all you have to ask. And they'll usually say, sure, go ahead. So uh, when you're applying, there's often a place to say where you referred. You put that person in there. You mention them in your cover letter, which will be usually an email now. And uh, so it's it's really okay to move for that. It's not rude. And some people will say, no, I don't really know you. But if you went to the same school, for example, that's more than sufficient for most people. And you can find people inside any organization by going to LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash alumni. And then you can find all the alumni of your alma mater that are in an organization and what they're doing and where they live. So uh, it's a super easy way to find somebody inside any organization. Then you can reach out to them. Uh, I recommend most people who are in a job search to go ahead and, and pay for the first level up on uh, LinkedIn so that they can send in mail. And um, so you send that someone an email. So I see you're in Google. I'm really curious about Google. Uh, could we chat? And that that after that, even any exchange at all, then you can say, can I mention your name when I apply? That's all it takes. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice because a lot of times we build it up in our head as this big thing, um, just starting a conversation with someone, just reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn. Um, talking about like a recent promotion they had, anything to break the ice, right? The reaching out to your alumni network, all these things that we've, we've talked about extensively. And I think Don has done a good job of kind of recapping and reiterating that this doesn't need to be a, a big ordeal. It's got to be something that you get very comfortable with and you're doing frequently, you know, chasing those 100 leads at, at all times. Um, and internally, so internally, I say uh, the, uh, the people that, they are referred are usually looked at first. The software automatically sorts them to the top, the applicant mm -hmm. tracking software, ATS. And so, um, you know, that's that's worth doing no matter how nebulous the connection, any connection better than none. And this is the number one source of, of hires for organizations is an internal referral. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. We haven't talked a lot about that. for We, we have talked about applicant tracking system software for those of you listening and how you can just get buried in it very, very easily. Like Don said, for every position, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people applying. But you get a referral, and a lot of times when you upload your resume, which it might just be at that point um, a formality, you put in the referral's name on their computer software, and you're going to go into that applicant tracking software right to the top. So again, getting, uh, getting these referrals is very, very important. Um, so on that note, we, you brought up recruiters. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about recruiters, because we some of the... Some of the PhDs don't have a lot of, well, most PhDs don't have a lot of experience with recruiters and you can kind of get confused on how to handle hiring managers versus recruiters. So maybe you can talk about recruiters specifically and how you can use them to access the hidden job market. Well, recruiters are an interesting phenomenon. There used to be a robust company uh, that, that tracked all the recruiters, and I think they finally gave up the ghost after it was impossible to sell data in the modern world. Uh, but the important thing to remember about recruiters is that they find uh, people for jobs. They don't find jobs for people. And I'm going to say that again because it really matters. They find people for jobs. They don't find jobs for people. So even if a recruiter is your cousin, uh, if, if you don't match the requisitions that she has open at that very moment, there's not a whole lot she can do for you. But you can use recruiters uh, in, in both the traditional sense and a novel sense. Um, and I think you should always take a recruiter's call, interact with a recruiter, talk to them, let them know who you are, because long term, 
it's a way of building your career because long-term having relationships with the top recruiters in your field is a way to get notice over and over again. Uh, but the two ways that the recruiters can help you, one is if the requisition actually matches, which is fairly unusual. Uh, but yeah. if it does match, great. Now, but the other thing that they can do for you is give you ideas. So if you can get a, re- a recruiter to talk to you at all, you can say, well, you know, who's doing well in this, this field? Who's doing well in this space? Uh, and take notes, and they'll tell you this company's growing, that company's not, they're going through reduction in force. Uh, so that kind of company gossip is kind of hard to come by. The business press has some of it, but they don't have a lot of it. But recruiters have it. It's their DNA. It's what they sell, uh, and it's yes. the world they live in. It's the air they breathe. So uh, I would I would suggest connecting with recruiters uh, at, at every opportunity. But just know that if they don't have an open requisition. There, there's ways to at the senior level. There's, there's some tricks. I don't want to call them tricks. I would just call them techniques to get a recruiter to float you to their base. Um, and so you might write a letter. I'll just describe it really quickly. You write a letter to the recruiter that says, you know, I don't expect you to have a, an open requisition for this at this moment, but. If you have any clients who are interested in this specific area, they might be interested in talking to me. If you would forward my resume along to them, I can promise you uh, to represent myself professionally and you professionally should their uh, conversation develop. Now, that's that's really revealing that you understand how recruiters work um, and that you're not a jerk. And so that sometimes will work, yeah. but you have to have skills they want. Uh, so it's got to be maybe, you know, the, the latest release of uh, a technology that's uh, relatively rare that people are hunting for, people for that, for example. Uh, that might work. Sometimes it does. No, that's great advice. And, you know, we, one thing we talk about a lot is building your relationships with these recruiters and, and looking at it from the long term. Um, like you mentioned, it's important to off, offer value back to these recruiters as well, perhaps through uh, an introduction or uh, offering knowledge, like you said, a, a, a cutting-edge technology. So that's great, great advice. Uh, we, we have a lot of individuals, unfortunately, where their current position is ending soon. Maybe they're getting their PhD, and so they're about to, to exit academia, or maybe their lab has run out of funding, or they ran out of funding in general in, in the, their department. Uh, so what's really the, the fastest way to tap into this job market, the fastest way to, to get hired if you're, if you're in a rush? What, what advice do you have? Um, in terms of that question. Okay, the fastest way to get hired is actually to call people. So uh, you need you need phone numbers to do this, but it is the fastest way. This is proven by research. So you you literally call up. Uh, basically, you start with everyone you know, and you tell them, "Hey, you know my uh, my term's going to be over here in August. I got a new bunch of postdocs coming in. I've got to go. Uh, you know, do you know anywhere in the industry I could find a, a home?" And you just work the phones um, all day. And, and a lot of people don't make any phone calls anymore. But I would recommend that you use a combination uh, that I call six steps to connect and I'll describe it but you start that and I'll I'll tell a joke but I want to preface the joke by saying that it's a joke because I've learned over the years that some people take me too literally Uh, but the fastest way in the world to get a job is to just call up companies and say I heard you were looking for uh, uh, an X where you match X. Okay, so I'll just use cost account as an example. I heard you were looking for a cost account. Who would I talk to about that? And the person on the other end of the phone, you have to be specific. You know, you can't say I heard you were looking for a PhD trying to change careers from uh, uh, from microbiology. That's not going to work. But if you have a specific skill and you call about it, 
that person mm-hmm. on the other end of the line is going to think, well, wait a minute. Are we looking for a cost accountant? Who would I talk to? Who, who, oh, you got to talk to Julie. Here's her extension. Okay, so I always tell people uh, that the, the candidates I work with, I say, and I'm sure you have the same opinion, I never let them tell a lie. So this is a joke, remember. I so I, I always tell them right before you pick up the phone and dial, say out loud, XYZ Corp is looking for a cost accountant, so, so that when you call them, you can truthfully say, I heard you were looking for a cost accountant. And if they challenge you, you can say, oh, well, I overheard it in my neighborhood. <laughs> I overheard it in my room by myself, to myself. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's, though, the fastest, that's the fastest way is to work your entire uh, network or any phone number in, uh, that you can get from anywhere. You can get phone numbers off of websites and just start dialing them up. Uh, so uh, well, Let me just jump in real quick because I think this is really important, and a, a lot of us have such a hard time with just picking up the phone and calling somebody. We, we get uh, very anxious, and it's just a phone call. And in industry, people in the offices, they're, they're getting phone calls all day, but not as much as they get emails, right? Emails is a very, it's a very clogged channel. LinkedIn messages the same. And a lot of people after they have jobs, they're not even on LinkedIn. So I love that Don is really saying like, if you want to get a job fast, you're running out of funding, whatever it is, get on the phone, start making calls and just say something. It's like we've talked about with recruiters saying something as simple as, uh, I heard this position is still, uh, is, was available. Is it still open? Right. Calling up offices and say, I heard this, your company was looking for XYZ skill set. Um, who is the best person to talk to about this? Great advice, Don. So, yeah, sorry, I wanted to jump in there, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it, I think sometimes we agonize over technique. You don't need technique. You need follow-through. Um, so I, I used to know a creative writer. Um, she was a, a tech writer in San Francisco. And um, she, she had this Rolodex. This is back in the days of paper Rolodexes. This Rolodex was as big as a refrigerator. And uh, she, she was extremely uh, shy. And she would not look at you. I've met her several times. I had, I did several projects with her and, uh, she wouldn't look at you. Uh, but she would call up and she would say, Hey, this is Crystal looking for a writing assignment. Do you know anything? If you know anything, call me back. That was her whole shtick. That was it. But she went on that Rolodex and she started it at one end and she went all the way through it. And when she got to the bottom, she started over with the first one. So you don't need technique. You need follow through. And yeah. I, while we're talking about modalities of contact, I really want to bring this up. I think we've all forgotten how to write business letters, uh, and business letters are different. They're so novel. They're exotic now, especially from young people. Uh, so mm. if somebody wants to put that in their, uh, their toolbox, I think it's a really great tool. I'll give you an example. Email's half-life is approximately, I don't know, an hour. Uh, but I wrote a letter to somebody, and I said, in six months, I'm going to be in your city, and I'm going to stop by and see you. Mm-hmm. And when I went to see her, six months later, my letter was sitting on her credenza next to her desk, exactly where she put it down six months ago, and it sat there till I showed up. Think about the duration of a letter that can last that long on somebody's property. It's physical. It can't be, it can't be buried. It can't be uh, eliminated. And so adding letters into your modalities of contact, I think, is an important tool. And if you got a second, I want to cover the six steps to connect and talk about the difference between social interaction and business interaction. Yeah, so let me just recap a couple of things because there's so much great material here. I mean, you guys... Uh, I told you you're going to be in for a treat. Uh, one thing that's come up over and over again is really going for the channels that are not clogged, right? So Don has talked about just getting referrals in general being very, very important. 
um, to bypassing hundreds of people because most people don't get referrals. They just upload online. He's also talked about picking up the phone, writing a business letter. Yeah, who writes a business letter anymore? Uh, this is a, this is a, a great strategy. Get yourself ahead of hundreds of other people. Uh, and I think I think focusing on these channels that aren't being used that much, very, very important. So, yeah, I just wanted to jump in there. Um, oh, real quick, too, Donna, I thought this was a good question that came in from, let's see here, got Barry, from Joshua, uh, about picking up the phone and calling. Like, uh, there is there seems to be this persuasive idea, like an urban legend, that it's bad to pick up the phone and cold call a company or to call the HR department. Is, is this true? What, what do you think? I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true, but there's a technique that I would uh, teach people is don't don't ask for a callback because when you ask for a callback, you're in a sense really being a little presumptuous. So in you, when you leave a message uh, at a company or with a friend of a friend, just say, "Hey, uh, you know, Colin, because I got referred to you. I understand that your company might be growing. Love to talk to you about opportunities with your organization. Give me a callback. Uh, excuse me. Don't say give me a callback. Say." I would love to connect. My phone number is. Mm. I would love to connect. And that's a gentler way to do it. And it doesn't make the other person feel guilty. It actually is very positive, very positive. So uh, I once called a company every day uh, for, I think it was two and a half weeks. Um, and this was my first publisher. And uh, they didn't call me back until the two and a half weeks were over. Uh, but then they did call me back. And that was uh, well over $4 million ago. So wow. I called somebody once a day for uh, for two and a half weeks, every day, every single day. And I was going to call that guy forever until he called me back. Uh, and he did call me back. We made a deal. We made 12 more deals um, and four and a half million dollars worth of business together. That's amazing, yeah, and it's a great example of just picking up the phone and and connecting. So thanks for thanks for recapping that. I think it was important. Um, I know you were about to add something, um, Don. If, I don't know if you still want to add it, or we can uh, jump on to the next topic. Well, I just want to walk through uh, the difference between business uh, communications and social communications. There's an actual rule in social communications that you're not supposed to leave more than three messages for somebody or invite them to three parties if they don't go. Uh, and it's a point of etiquette, and you can look it up. But it doesn't matter because that's that's social. I mean, we, nobody wants to be a stalker. stalker. Uh, but in business, there's a completely different rule. And I want to just kind of walk through what that rule is. You can make one touch per day forever until they tell you to stop. If they pick up the phone and say, if you call here one more time, we're calling the police, <laughs> then that could be a sign to you that maybe you need to stop. But if they don't do that, you're still completely within your bounds to one touch per day. That's one email or one phone message every day, every day, every day, every day. And you're not being rude. You're rude only if you keep doing it after they ask you to stop. So it's just an incredibly different rule. People are not used to it, uh, and they need to understand this is the rules of business. Uh, how aggressive is too aggressive? I've been at this a long time. I, I can really only hand on one hand and a couple of extra fingers, I can name the, the people that were too aggressive. I'm going to guarantee you that 99.99% of our audience today is not going to be aggressive enough. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And for those of you listening, uh, um, this makes me very happy, right? Because we push you to safely reach out once a week. If you're reaching out once a week and adding value, nobody's going to see you as a stalker. Nobody's going to, you know, call the police. Don is saying you can reach out every single day. And, you know, in industry, it, this is seeing as valuable, like being uh, assertive in this way, following up, 
is, is extremely important. So um, if you want to find that right balance between once a day or, or once a week for you, you, you just know that that is okay. And if they want you to stop, they will. Otherwise, it's it's how you can get your foot in the door. It's 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 what's valued in industry. So it's not it's you know you're not an academic. Let me anymore. Let, me, let me clarify that. I say yeah. I don't think everyone should call everybody once a day. It's just right. that when you want to, that's okay. If you need to, that's okay. Mm. If it's your ex wife's ex husband's tennis coach, and they're not returning your call, and you know that they have a piece of information you need then I have no problem with you calling that person every day. That's an example. But when you're working with people that are kind of in your network, I think you're right. I, I talk to recruiters all the time, and here's what they tell me. If I hear from you uh, more than once a week, it starts to get on my nerves. But if I don't hear from you for a month, I forgot who you are. So mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that little tickle uh, really needs to call in there every week, 10 days, two weeks, uh, or they forget who you are. And I like to alternate modalities of contact. So you leave a message yeah. on the phone, and then maybe a week and a half later, you forward a tweet to them, say, hey, I just saw that your CFO's getting arrested at LaGuardia. Maybe there'll be some new openings in accounting. <laughs> then you wait another 10 days, and you send them something in the mail, saw this article in The Economist, thought you'd be interested in it. That breaking up the way you connect with them uh, keeps you from being annoying, and also it takes creativity. Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.